all that means that BIMI is a lot more work and a lot less pay. <coughs> but I also am proud to be part of it. Uh, when we left on Tuesday, well, Linda wasn't there, but I was, we have a full-blown audit going on right now. This is not a Christian, it's a secular auditing firm. They come every year and move in. I mean, they just come in and take over the business office and all every everything that's given and where, if, if money is given for one thing uh, and then we get a letter from them every year. It costs us some money to do that. But listen, folks, that's important because integrity and doing things in the right way. Another one, one other little thing I want to tell you is when missionaries come in and they're screened and go through all of that, they do not become BIMI missionaries until the pastors who are our board of trustees accept them. Uh, we do not get just give lip service to being a local church. We are. Amen. We understand we, BIMI, we don't send missionaries. Local churches send missionaries. Amen. We're just your helpers to help them get there, to hold them by the hands or to not literally, but push them a little bit sometime. Anyway, we just, we're their cheerleaders. And uh, Did you know, too, that the, the lady who wrote the song, Bury My Heart on the Mission Field, Lord, is a BIMI missionary. Amen. In fact, several years ago when they came through to be screened, she and her husband are standing there in front of the whole board of pastors. And someone said, uh, I understand you wrote the song, Bury My Heart on the Mission Field, Lord. We never heard that. Could you quote it? And I said, uh, <clears throat> she can sing it. There's no piano in there. I mean... And that lady stood there in front of all those august body of pastors and sang that song that she wrote. And the only other time that happened at BIMI was in the early days when Dr. Charles Weigel sang, No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus, Amen. in front of that board. Well, God is good. You know what I feel like tonight? I don't even really need to preach. And some of y'all say, Amen. <laughs> What I mean by that, how could you not be moved by what we've already seen? I mean, to watch all those flags, all those young people coming by with those flags from all over the world, and many of them come from those countries they, that they were representing there. Let me, I don't read too much to you, but since you're, some of your people read to you tonight, I'm going I'm to read something. I, this just came to me a little bit ago, and because we gave Bibles in Fiji, about nine months ago, the government of Papua New Guinea came to us, and I'll have a little more to say about this on Sunday, but they said, uh, we heard what you all did in Fiji. What our kids here need is God and the Bible. Would you come to our schools and give out Bibles? And we're right in the middle of that. What I have in my hand today was written by, I'll tell you when I get to the end of it, except his name is Holmes Taco. T-A-K-O, he's a pastor in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea. And here's what he said. Missionaries, who are they? A little 12-year-old boy gave a description of missionaries like this when he was asked. Now remember, he is not an American. His English will show you a little bit that he's writing as a Papua New Guinean. But he said about missionaries, they are God's special agents for a special mission. How true it is. 
Their mission is called Rescue the Perishing. Leaving the fort, they prepare to enter enemy lines all over the world. Given their location and strategy, they move without much logistical support. To live or die is just the same for them. They're equipped with the art of old-fashioned technology. In their hands is, is the world's most powerful weapon that can crash the enemy in the split of a second. In their mouth is the life-saving message that can save the homeless and the hopeless, the baseless and the lifeless. Putting hope, giving you home, setting base on the solid rock, and giving abundant life to mankind. Wiping tears of sadness and loneliness, putting joy in their hearts and smile on their faces. Their feet are called beautiful. With blisters and cuts and their hands have a special touch from heaven. Missionaries put their bodies and families on the line, climbing the highest mountain, walking the widest river, crossing crocodile-infested swamps, uh, driving on mountains, walking the widest uh, river. Anyway, driving on rugged roads unfit for motor vehicles that can shake, twist, and rock you. They fly over breathtaking mountains that can make you nervous. Missionaries live on faith, and they live in isolation. On many occasions, they have been attacked, robbed, beaten, punched. But as the saying goes, they keep on and serve their master. They adapt to the weather. They speak the lingo. They eat the local menu. Time and time again, they face struggles and hardships and pressures and perils of life. Their poor children are born and bred on a foreign land with a mixture of American and Melanesian custom. What a place to adapt into two cultures. They live up to their motto, they are no fools to give what they cannot keep, to gain what they cannot lose. Missionaries are, indeed, are special indeed because of their special mission on frontline duties to rescue people from the enemy. We salute you all because you are our heroes. Your coming was our freedom and hope. You brought light to our darkness. You set the path for our feet. You wiped our tears of pain, and you relieved our broken hearts. Your labor and dedication of love is not in vain, but will be honored by our chief in command. We appreciate you all for coming to our land, the land of color and culture, of the land of the unexpected and the land of a million journeys. Papua New Guinea, written by a young man. In fact, he went to church with us just a few days ago at our church in Harrison, Tennessee, who was led to the Lord by a missionary when he was eight years old. His wife was led to the Lord by a missionary. He now pastors a church in Papua New Guinea that has over a thousand people in church on Sunday. Can I tell you, folks, that there are a thousand pastors? That sounds like a huge number, doesn't it? There are a thousand pastors today in Papua New Guinea that were one to the Lord and trained by our missionaries. Amen. Now, that's, that's what this is all about. It's not about making anyone feel good or feel bad. It's about honoring the command that was given to us by our Lord and, and Savior and Master. Matthew chapter 9, I'll do my best tonight to not be long. I told you last night my messages are simple. I was in Greenville, South Carolina. I heard a preacher preach on the difference between dynamic and dualistic monarchianism. 
<laughs> he, he preached. I'm serious. No joke. I, he preached. I had no idea what he said. I don't think he did. <laughs> so my, my message will not be on monarchianism. Uh, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, at least part of this, he said, in verse 36, But when he, that is Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In John chapter 4, you don't need to turn there, but verse 35, Jesus said, And say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Mark sixteen fifteen, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We saw a good illustration of that tonight. I look at those people going by. I see those flags, and I think many times I think, I've been there. Not in all of them. I'm working toward that. I I just want to go everywhere. Linda and I, we get back from some place, and people will say, Brother Godfrey, what's your favorite country in all the world? And here's my answer, the one I was in last and I'm not joking, I'm serious. Every place we go, I, I'm, Linda would tell you, she's heard me say it a thousand times, every place we go, I want to stay there. You know why? Because people there need the Lord. And uh, it doesn't matter where it's at. Can I just for a moment tonight, again, my, my message will be really short. Have you ever heard a Baptist preacher say that before? <laughs> but <laughs> I, knew, I know where I'm at. <laughs> My message will be really simple, but but before I get into that, can I just for a moment stand here and represent all that crowd of people that we saw walk by here tonight just a little bit ago? I wonder what those people would say to us if they could stand here tonight in the pulpit in my place. Have you ever thought about what those people living out there in the Turks and Caicos and over in Tanzania, on the other side of the world in Fiji, in a few months, well, just in a couple of weeks, I'll be up in Ottawa, Canada. Uh, after that, I'll be some, com, coming up, I'm going to New Zealand. What if, what if those people were standing here tonight behind this pulpit instead of me? I wonder what they would say. I wonder if it wouldn't be something like this. Why didn't you tell us sooner? The words came sad and low. O ye who knew the gospel truth, why didn't you let us know? The Savior died for those who sinned. He died to save from woe, but we never heard the story. Why didn't you let us know? You've had the gospel message. You've known the Savior's love. Your dear ones passed from Christian homes to that blessed land above. Why did you let our fathers die? And into silence go with no thought of Christ to comfort. Why didn't you let us know? We appeal to you, O Christians, in lands beyond the sea. Why didn't you... How many of you all know what it means when you can't see? 
And I do good as long as I don't have tears in there, but I got to have a little help here, all right? You forgive me for that? For an old man, I do good. We appeal to you, O Christians, in lands beyond the sea. Why didn't you tell us sooner Christ died to set men free? 2,000 years have passed since disciples were told to the, uh, go to the uttermost part of the earth and preach. But you didn't let us know. You say that you're Christ's disciples and that you try His work to do. And yet, His very last command is disobeyed by you. Tis indeed a wonderful story. Christ loved the whole world so that He came and died to save us. Why didn't you let us know? If you could go out and meet people around this world, not everyone wants missionaries there. Not every country, they, do they meet you with welcome in arms? But the truth is, this world needs the gospel of our Savior. Uh, I've already told you my messages are simple, and I think that's true because I'm a simple person. Uh, Linda and I grew up on the farm. How many of you know what that means to grow? I mean, uh, we were support. I, I'm not going to stand here tonight and tell you we walked five miles in the snow to school, but um, we grew up poor. Uh, I was 14 years old before we had plumbing in the house. Anybody else here that goes back that far, you know? And... Uh, we, we went down to a spring and got water out of a spring. And sometime when I got back to the house, there were minnows in the water from the spring. Yeah, anybody? How many remember had the bucket in the wintertime when you dipped your, got your water out of the well or out of the spring? And in the wintertime, when you went to, to get... See, young people don't know what a dipper is. <laughs> when you went to dip the dipper in the water bucket, it was frozen. So we grew up like that, both of us. She had five brothers and a, and a sister, and, and her dad worked in the textile mill and farmed on the side. We're poor. So I'm a very simple person. But there's some things to me that are very evident. Number one, I believe with all of my heart that the Bible is true. This is God's Word. I don't debate it. I don't question it. I don't even... It's just to me, I read it from one word from the first word to the last word, Linda and I have the privilege. We get to do it in multiple languages. Uh, I read three chap three different languages today. She read three or four. I don't know. Uh, the Japanese, they tell me, they said, Brother Godfrey, when we read our Bibles, we agree with God. <laughs> they said, you Americans, when you read yours... <laughs> But there is no doubt in my mind that this is the very Word of God. I trust what it has to say about salvation. I trust what it has to say about our Lord Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, His perfect sinless life. He is God of of God. He's, he's, He's completely human. I believe what it says about heaven and what it says about hell. And I believe that what it says about reaching the world is true. Why does your pastor bring in a lot of missionaries and have a conference like this? You see, when Jesus spoke the words that I read to you a moment ago, go ye in all the world, the population of the world at that time was about 250 to maybe 300 million. When the first Baptist church was established in the United States of America in 1638, there were only about 500 million people in the world alive at that time. A half of a billion. 
during the days of Spurgeon and Moody, the world finally reached one billion people. It took from the flood of Noah until 1830 to have a billion people alive on the earth at the same time. Now, I'm headed somewhere. Don't, don't, don't get out on me. It, from 1830 to 1933, that was a period of 103 years, the population went from one million in the time of Spurgeon to two mi- billion. From 1933 to 1960, that's 27 years, it jumped to three billion. From 1960 to 1977, 17-year period, it went to four billion. From 1977 to 1987, a 10-year span, the population of our world jumped to 5 billion people. October 1999, it hit 6 billion. Today, the population of the world is somewhere around 7.5 billion. Now, I don't usually go through a bunch of numbers, but I wanted you tonight to think about it. Not that long ago, there was only one billion people alive on this earth. Today, there are over seven and a half billion. How do you describe that? I mean, tonight we saw, it it took a long time for all these people to, and that wasn't all the flags in the world, but all these people to go by, it took a long time just simply for, for us to look at them and see them spread out. How do you describe seven billion? I've been in a few places where I thought I could understand it a little better. Anybody ever been in Japan and try to get on a train at rush hour? I mean, they hire men in the train station, and, and their job is to push you in. The door's open, and they're standing there, and they put their boots up and shove you in there and close the door. If your coattail's hanging out, they open the door and stick your coat in. And <laughs> One of, We've got a missionary there in Japan uh, who started a church near the largest train station in the world. Over 3 million people today go through that train station. You walk out from underground and up steps and across a crosswalk there in downtown Tokyo, 250,000 people cross that crosswalk every day. One of our dear friends, we ran a bus route with them at Highland Park Baptist Church 47 years ago. Uh, they they were, were in Japan for years, and they got on the train one day, and they were packed in like that. And the moment he got in there... He couldn't get his arms up. His nose started to itch. He twisted, he twisted and he did all kind of contortions. And he finally, took him about 15 minutes, finally got his handkerchief up to, to blow his nose. And um, it wasn't his handkerchief. How many people, seven, I don't know, 7.5 billion people. Now, I'm having fun. I hope you all understand. It's, it's all right when Christians laugh. I mean, there's nothing wrong with us having fun. And the only way, I don't know how to even illustrate. How do you illustrate 7 billion people? It's, it's, it's pretty good when you get in the train and you can't even get your own handkerchief. Or you raise your hands up to put your briefcase in the thing overhead. And you can't get your arms down for 45 minutes until you get to your stop. Seven and a half billion people, did you realize that five and a half billion of them are non-Christians? Let me say that again. Seven and a half billion, five and a half billion are non-Christians. Now in that other number, the two billion that's left, that's Christians of 
every kind you can imagine. How many of you all know that most of those people have no knowledge of salvation in Christ? They're, they're religious. They're, they do ritual. They do ceremony. Religion, I believe, in, in my opinion, religion sends more people to hell than anything in the world. Because religion goes around, look what I've done. I, I go to church more than you go to church. I give more than you go, give. I pray. That's religion. Look at me. They tell us that there's somewhere around 254 million evangelicals. Now, I don't even identify with that. I'm a Baptist. Now, I know, I know you don't have to be a Baptist to go to heaven, but do uh, you remember Dr. Lakin? Have you ever heard, heard Dr. Lakin back in his day? said they had a, a little Baptist grandmother, and her son became a Presbyterian preacher. And he said to his mama one day, Mama, what's going to happen, happen when we get to heaven and Jesus tells you that he wasn't a Baptist? And his mother said, I know it wasn't him. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't take this survey but I think the numbers are right and it tells us 86% of people living in the world today said that they do not personally know a Christian there are people who tell you that you, you can go all over the world and speak English if you believe that I have some beach front property in the country of Niger to sell you. One in five people today is a Muslim. One in eight is a Hindu. One in ten non-religious. One in twenty a Buddhist. Two-thirds of the world do not have missionaries. Nine percent of the world speaks English. Ninety-four percent of Baptist preachers preach in English. 96% 96% of Baptist offerings are used to reach the 9% of the world that speaks English. Did you realize this evening that there are more Baptist pastors in the state of Texas than there are Baptist missionaries in all of the rest of the world? Now, I'm not trying to play on your emotions. I'm really not. I'm just trying to illustrate what we saw tonight. What are we going to do? Well, for sure we need to look. Jesus said, look on the fields. We need to look. We need to proclaim. We need to go. Several years ago, well, let me back up. Back some time ago, Dr. Snyder and I, we we were talking, and one of the things we do, we try to pray and and get along with God and say, Dear Lord, how can we do more to reach the world with the gospel? And at that time, we had missionaries in 80 different countries, and we just felt like, there are countries out there all over the world that are open. We can get more missionaries there. So we started praying. We called it the 100 Nation Project then. And we said, dear God, would you please call missionaries? Jesus told us to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors. And we started to pray. And each part of the world picked a country or two. And I was Far East director then. And so my country was Mongolia. Up until mid-90s, there were no missionaries of any kind working really in Mongolia. They got sick of the Soviet domination. Things changed. So we, we started praying for Mongolia. And uh, did you know now we have two families on the ground and two more going to Mongolia? 
countries all over the world, we prayed that way. And then that hundred, we reached the hundred nations. I mean, God answered our prayers, and now we have missionaries. Actually, I have to go back and look, but I think it's a little over, maybe a hundred different fields now. And then we started, we changed it a little bit. We expanded it. We called it the Open Door Project. Did you know that there are several countries in Africa that have less than one-tenth of one percent of Christians in the whole country? They're, they're huge cities. So, Brother B.J., a lot of time when people think about Africa, you know what they think about? Tarzan swinging through the jungle on vines. Tarzan never did that. I tried it. No, I, I learned in her Tarzan never did that because when I lived that we lived down there in the jungle, I carried my rifle at Port Arms because everywhere I went, they were spider webs and they were ants. And they, Tarzan never swung through those jungles on vines. I'm telling you. But there, Africa's not that way so much, is it? There are, there are jungle areas, there are desert areas. But when you think Africa, I think about huge cities. I think about Dakar and Abidjan and Nairobi and Kinshasa and Entebbe. And where you go across Africa, the folk there, there are huge cities and there are countries there that are open to the gospel. There's some that are not, but they need the gospel. In Asia, there are 15 countries with less than 1% Bible-believing people there. They're huge cities. I, I love, I told you I love countries all over the world, everywhere we go. I kind of, but you know, let me tell you a place I really love. And I don't know why. I'm an African and I, why, how I ended up in the Far East, I don't know. But I just have such a burden for Japan. It's a wonderful country in some ways. It's so polite, uh, even though polite can be a little bit of a ruse. Have you ever seen the little Japanese wife follow her hubby to the car in the morning, bowing all the way? And everybody thinks, oh, how, how, how much in subjection she is to her husband and she bows. What they don't know is on Friday when he comes home with a paycheck, she gets it. <laughs> Gives him an allowance. But anyway, when I, when I think about Japan, I love Japan. Less than 1% of the entire population of Japan are Christians of any kind. But there are some Christians there, and they're winning, they're winning their neighbors. And then we think about Europe. Sometimes when we think about Africa, we think about missions. We think about going to Africa, going to the islands. What about modern-day countries like England and Ireland and Scotland and France and Italy and Germany and Portugal and Spain and going over into Eastern Europe? What about those countries? What about the Middle East? Did you realize that the, the home of the early church was the Middle East? Yet today there's so many places where, the, where no missionary can go, at least not physically. Think about the Pacific, the islands, New Zealand, Australia, North America. Let me say, folks, missions is not just going out to those places. It's right here in our country. In fact, the world's moving here. People, they come occasionally to me and they cry, well, we would love, we think God's calling us to Saudi Arabia. And then they come back and say, but we can't get a visa to go to Saudi Arabia as a missionary. You know what I tell them? Go to our college campuses in America. Well, I can't go to Saudi Arabia. Why do you have to go there when you can meet them right here? Well, I can't go to Sudan. I can't go to uh, Yemen. I can't go here. Look, you don't have to go there. They're right here. 
Usually it's the cream of the crop there, the young people. They come here to go to school. Let's reach them. So we need to look. Let me, t- let me give you two other simple things and I'm finished. Let me remind you tonight what God did when he looked. Did you know that God looked? He tells us to look on the fields. But one day he looked on the fields. Actually, he looked on the fields before he ever created this world. And when God looked, he gave. He gave a lamb. If there was any other way for man to get to heaven, there never would have been a Calvary. And there are tons of America today that think, oh, they'll get to heaven some way. If folk, if they don't get to heaven by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary, they'll never get there. When God looked, He gave. Now here's the question, my final question this evening. What are we going to do now that we looked? I sat there tonight. I admit I had tears in my eyes. And I see things like that. I want to go. I want to, I want to go to another country. I want to go to another city. What are we going to do now that we've looked? Uh, let me just simple things. We need, to, we need to be willing to go. We need to be willing to sacrifice. We need to be willing to give. We need to be willing to pray. And when we do that, we can come back home and read a letter from a national that says, missionaries are my heroes. Dr. Don Sisk, is our, he's, we've been dear friends for many years, and I almost got him killed in the Congo. I'll tell you that story another time. Don't have story for that time for that now, but I almost got him killed. And the bandit was, he said interpret, and the bandit was standing there. They had machetes and machine guns, and, and uh, we started interpreting for Dr. Sisk, and the bandit said that, told him, he said, tell him to shut his mouth or I'll blow his brains out. Dr. Sis said he felt strangely led to comply. <laughs> but when he went to Japan, Dr. Dr. Sis is a Kentucky hillbilly. If Kentucky's playing basketball, you know where he's at. Well, he went to Japan, and uh, he learned Japanese, but he learned it Kentucky style. And uh, he was starting a church. It was called Sinry Newtown Baptist Church. Sinry Newtown, they call it that because it wasn't a new town. It didn't exist before. They came in with bulldozers, bulldozed the dirt off the top of a mountain, pushed it out in the ocean, built a new island, and on top of that island they built a new town, Sinry Newtown. There were no Christians there. There was no such thing as a church there. They got some property. They passed out flyers. They invited people. And that night they had their first church service. And this young uh, young. Uh, Japanese university student showed up and he came in and said, my name is Sogoro Ogawa and uh, I have no interest in your religion. I don't want to hear anything about Jesus Christ. I'm a university student at the University of Kobe and I, all I want to do is hear English. And Dr. Sis thought if he knew what kind of Kentucky English I speak, he wouldn't want to learn from me. He stood at the back of the auditorium that night. Now think about it, first time he ever went to church in his whole life. Didn't want to hear the gospel. Stood at the back of the church. And they had the first service at that beginning of a church. And that night he stood there and he watched those Christians sing 
What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart and they're just beaming with joy. And something happened that night that rarely happens in Japan or anywhere else. That young, skeptical, cynical Japanese university student trusted Christ as his Savior. He was rejected from his family. He was in the first graduating class of Kansai Independent Baptist Bible College in Japan. He is now the pastor and has been for many years of Sinry Newtown Baptist Church. Amen. They run it's the largest Baptist church in anywhere in Japan. Uh, they run often five, six hundred people, which is very unusual for, for Japan. I'm just telling you that then not to close. What are we going to do when we look? We've seen it tonight. My heart was stirred. What are we going to do? Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us not to just think about it, but Lord, help us to act upon it, to be willing to go, to give, to pray, to sacrifice. And Lord, I pray tonight you would not let what we've seen just go by and we won't think about it anymore. But Lord, forgive us our coldness, forgive us our callousness, and help us to do what you want us to do in Jesus' name.